You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. If you love hunting, fishing, or just like to be outside, Go Wild is the social media destination for you. You can download this app directly to your smartphone or mobile device just by visiting and searching in the Google Play Store. You can also visit timetogowild.com for more information. It's time to get outside and go wild. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Freshwater Bite Podcast. This is episode number 13. Happy holidays, everybody. I hope you guys are having a great holiday season. I know I am getting to, uh, you know, enjoy some time with the family and uh, just taking it all in before we start, you know, our next our next session of 2019. You know, it's here before you know it. And before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to share with you guys real quick an article that I read um, about how wolves' diets are a lot more diverse than we had originally thought. Some scientists and biologists in um, the state of Minnesota recently found out that wolves are actually having freshwater fish as part of their diet now, which is kind of crazy to think about. You know, as if we didn't have enough competition out there on the water and at the boat launches and in rivers and streams with you know, the everyday angler. Now we're dealing with wolves as well, competing with them for some of the fish. But I guess they got video of a pack of wolves um, hunting slash fishing for freshwater fish. And I think it was suckers that were in there to spawn. And they were grabbing these suckers and throwing them up on the bank and then going back down there and, uh, and, and grabbing some more while the freshwater fish were there, the suckers were there, and then going up and eating them. So not only are... You know, wolves eating deer and moose, uh, and you know they eat other things like berries and things like that. But now scientists have actual video of them hunting for fish and making that part of their diet. So that's pretty crazy. I thought that was kind of cool, and I'll actually link that in the show notes, the full article, if you guys want to check it out. And just one more thing before we get into today's episode, uh, I just wanted to take the time to thank you guys, the listeners for an amazing 2018 here on the Freshwater Bite Podcast. I appreciate all of you that have been involved from the beginning, all the new listeners, and uh, looking forward to 2019. You know, I really appreciate you guys giving feedback and emailing me your questions and just creating a dialogue, you know, with myself and uh, being part of the show as well. And I just wanted to continue that into 2019. We've got some big things on the horizon, as you know, I've joined Sportsman's Nation podcast platform, and uh, there's going to be a lot more content coming out for all you guys, not only in the uh, the fishing world, but also in the, the hunting, um, whitetail, and, and big game and everything else. So check out check us out over there at thesportsmansnation.com and also over at freshwaterbite.com for more podcasts to come and more content coming out. So just want to say thanks again, guys. Super grateful for all of you guys being here. And uh, yeah, so let's get into today's episode. My guest today is Theo Tolliver. Theo is located in North Dakota, and he is part of the Fish Addictions crew. 
um, out there in North Dakota. And he shares with us his humble beginnings and how he got into fishing growing up with his dad and how his dad was a huge influence on him as well. And also about uh, how to fish those uh, those prairie bodies of water out there in North Dakota. And gives us some tips about how to catch fish on the ice and in open water. And uh, go check out uh, Theo's YouTube channel as well. We talk a little bit about that, how he loves promoting and educating anglers from all over the world. So let's uh, let's give it up for uh, my new friend, Theo. Well, hey, man, thanks for coming on to, to do the podcast. This is awesome. I'm you know, super stoked we finally got to uh, found some time to sit down and do this. Yeah, absolutely, man. I've been looking forward to it. So, <laughs> Yeah, I know you're a busy guy too. So what do you guys got? Ice out there now, I see? Oh, yeah, yeah. We got plenty of ice out here. Most places right now are anywhere between uh, 10 to 11 inches. Um, however, we just had like a like a warm spell. And so uh, it's kind of – there's some areas that are usually sketchy, like the normal places where I fish at. There's two spots where a lot of people fish at. As soon as it gets warm and a little bit of wind, it opens right up and exactly what it did. But uh, other places, for the most part, we still have decent ice out there. So We are struggling here in Michigan. Struggling. Really? Oh, my God. We're <laughs> struggling hard. Like some of the inland lakes, as long as you're not like by the big water, like I'm close to Lake Michigan. So if that stays warm, you get the breeze off of there. It keeps the inland lakes open more here because obviously that air coming off the, you know, the water is, is, is making the, the overall atmosphere air a lot, a lot warmer. But if you get inland more and you get away from the big lakes where it's, it's colder, those lakes are freezing and they've got like, I don't know, four to five inches maybe, but we just had a, a spell of rain come through and like, like Saginaw Bay is not locked up or anything like that yet. So, Oh really? Oh yeah. 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 yeah no, like a lot of our, like a lot of our fishing out here is a uh, off river systems too. So we got that mix of the warm weather and current does not help at all. But, uh, most of our fishing always, it's, 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 so they'll stay locked up pretty good. Once they're locked up, they'll stay locked up pretty good. So oh, good. Um, well, hey, I just want to get started with everyone. Um, you know, for the audience out there, I usually have my guests kind of introduce themselves a little bit and just tell us, you know, your earliest memory of or how you got into, you know, this awesome sport of fishing. Okay, um, man, I started when I was really young. I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, I grew up. Uh, just mainly fishing like little local like stock pond in the park within the city my dad used to take us all you know take all the time with them somewhere like you know catching catfish and bass and then also in southern nevada we have a i'm sure you guys heard me like lake Dane, lake lake me which is attached to hoover dam oh yeah and so we would go oh yeah yeah so we go fishing out there quite a bit here too and we also had a, a family friend that my dad was really good friends with. Basically, they're a second family to me. We they uh, owned a cabin up in uh, Utah near Zion National Park. So I guess like southern Utah ish. And we used to make trips up there to catch rainbow trout and brook trout, like you know, a couple of times a year. Spend a week or two up there fishing for that, and that's really how I kind of got started too. And then um, it really didn't help the the you know the, the feed for my fishing is that uh, my next door neighbor was a professional bass angler. Really, who's that? So he. Uh, his name is Jesse Takarani. He uh, he lives down in Florida. He uh, he owns a fishing uh, company called Enigma Fishing. He, they built uh, fishing rods and stuff like that. Oh. And uh, so what he used to do is he used to put on fishing tournaments down at Lake Mead. And so what I would do was is he would ask me and his uh, his nephew Shane Shane Platter. We would uh, he would like hey you guys want to come work for work for me? Um, basically what we would do is we would um, take the fish from the the, the anglers. Bring it up to the weigh scale. They do that, you know, their speech or whatever they're doing, and then we'll take the fish down to the Shimano catch and release uh, pontoon boat. Oh yeah. So that was our job. 
yeah, so he would pay us, you know, either like ten bucks an hour, or he would say, "Hey, I'll pay you guys a fishing trip." So that's and then so yeah, I really got into fishing that way too. So now, did you guys oh, see? Yeah. Did you guys see some big names come through there at all? Um, you know, I was really kind of too young to remember seeing any big big names come through there. I'm, I'm sure there was. Okay. Um, at that t- at that time, I was just happy carrying fish around. <laughs> I didn't care who was around. You know, I was just like, "Oh man, these big bass run right in front of me." I'm like, "Oh, this is kind of cool," you know. So, and I. I I was, you know, I, I love seeing the launch in the morning and you know, the takeoff, you know, and I was just caught up, too caught up in the moment to really kind of, uh, really kind of just kind of to see who was fishing. All I knew, you know, I knew my neighbor Jesse. That was pretty much about it. So, <laughs> dude, but that probably gave you like a lot of hope and inspiration to be like, man, there's those size fish or caliber fish in here. I'm going to keep fishing this lake a little bit more. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but, you know, like, like growing up, we didn't have I didn't have, we didn't have a whole lot of money growing up, so we didn't have a boat. So I grew up shore fishing, and occasionally, you know, if I if somebody invited invited us out on a boat and stuff like that too, that we would we would go out and do that. But we were actually fairly successful from the shore. Um, but it's got actually gotten harder every year. Got harder and harder and harder because uh, Lake Mead, the water just kept dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping. So by the time that kind of really kind of died out, um. We started traveling out more to other lakes in like Central Nevada and then other places over in Utah. We used to go go fishing over there too. So you yeah. know, i I think that's I think that's pretty cool that you're from that area because when I, I mean, obviously when you think of Nevada or Las Vegas for that for the most part, I don't think of fishing at all. I think of lack of water. Uh, I wouldn't think that there would be a <laughs> lot of fishermen around there. You know what I mean? So that's right, right. I've never thought about it in that light before. That's pretty cool. Do you think? Yeah, that is fun. Oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, absolutely. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I cut you off. Go ahead. But yeah, it's like, yeah. It's funny. A lot of people, a lot of people don't think about fishing when you're in your southern Nevada. We have Lake Mead. It has a great striper fishery out there, and lots and lots of largemouth bass fishing out there too. So. Right. <laughs> yeah, I've got a question for you, and it's I, it, I think I I feel like, or maybe you can answer this. If you started off shore fishing like you have, has that helped you hone your skills a lot more when you're able to be more mobile when you do get in a boat? um yes it does um so a lot of the techniques that a lot of people do for fish like you know on a boat like jigging perhaps right i use that on shore too i use that a lot too i use it to when i'm out there jigging especially for that i get the lay of the land like what's in front of me i can tell if there's rocks out there i can tell if it's getting shallower or deeper or for sand or mud because i can feel all that with my rod right so when i go out to um, on a boat, like I'm, like you know, we're, we're pitching jigging wraps or, or just vertical jigging. I can te- I can definitely tell what's underneath me. It's definitely holding my skills, and and vice versa too. I'll take my skills from whatever I'm doing on a boat, and I'll I can somewhat apply it to what I'm doing on land. Like uh, like when I'm lindy fishing, lindy rig is like is like really like one of my number one rigs. It's not my favorite way to fish, but it's basically it's the most successful. I like jig fish. jigging is like my favorite. But well, on lindy, uh, when I'm using lindy ring on the boat, we're normally pulling, you know, at a slow speed. A rate of speed pulling our lindy rigs with bait on it um so i'll do that on shore too so i'll toss it out there and if i'm not getting any action i'll just slowly reel it in just like as i'm doing on a boat not maybe not as fast but as, as a slower pace and it's definitely uh got my catch rate up right trying to kind of you know get that reaction bite sending off some right. vibrations and some ticks off the bottom and stuff like that yep dude i've never thought about doing that actually from shore that's kind of that's kind of smart so how'd you wind up in north dakota right that's where you're at now yeah, I'm in North Dakota right now. Yeah, so when I was 18, I uh, enlisted with the United States Air Force, and so I, and I actually, you know, uh, yeah, when I was 18, I was spent time actually in Texas training. My first duty assignment was in Minot, North Dakota, where I'm at right now. That was back in 2000, 2001. 
And I was kind of, kind of skeptical about it because I mean, I don't know, I never heard of this place. Everybody, everybody said mine in North Korea. I was like, where is that at? I'm like, good questioning. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, so when I got orders up there, I'm like, man, I had no new idea. So, I just basically all I had was my couple of bags, and I didn't have no fishing gear with me when I got up here. I had no idea. So I get up here, trying, you know, get the feel for the place for about a year, and then I was like, man, there's a lot of fishing going on here. I, I, I don't know how to fish for a while. I had no idea what to do up here. So I just had my dad, uh, he shipped me my car and all the rest of my fishing rods up here and, um, went out fishing and all I could catch was pike. I, I just couldn't figure out the walleye game. Could not figure it out because catching Northern pike is very similar to bass fishing. You toss something shiny out there, right. they're going to strike it, you know, any, you know, it's very similar. So I was like, okay, well, I kind of got that down, you know, it's fun, but I really want that walleye. Um, uh, so, um, one of my friends, he actually, he's like, Hey man, you know, like, somebody taught me how to jig from shore like like what are you talking about he's like yeah here jig a minnow i'm like okay i'm like how much are minnows i'm like up here they're fairly cheap scoop minnows like it's like you know under about three bucks you get about two or three dozen minnows you know back home in vegas you're paying like i don't know but you're only like a dozen minnows when you're only paying like you know five five or six bucks for a dozen out there so i was kind of happy about that anyways so we went out to this my spot in lake darling and next thing you know i he taught me how to jig i was struggling at first and then I finally felt that bite of a, I was like, Oh, what was that? And it turned out to be, a, I think my first one I ever forget is about a four pound walleye. And I was just like, Holy crap, dude, that's pretty good like, for your first one. Yeah. For my first one. Right. And ever, and ever since then I was completely hooked on walleye. I did. I was, I became what's, you know, a walleye snob. That's all I wanted to do is catch a walleye. So, and then, um, so I, I fished for, I was pretty much fishing a lot of, you know, for a few years after that until 2004, um, to where I, I I got stationed in uh, Osan Air, for, Air Force Base in South Korea. Um, so I was there for a year. I didn't get to do any quite. There's fishing out there, but I was more. I had a lot of work to do out there, so I really had a whole lot of free time. When I was out there for a year. And no walleye. And then there. I actually. No, I think there's some bass out there. Like, I don't know. You know, I did see a lot of crazy looking fish in the fish market. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I, I probably yeah, I'm not gonna touch that. You know, so. <laughs> Um, and then, so after that, I went to, um, I spent, spent the year there and I went back, actually got stationed back home in Las Vegas for about four years. Um, I did do a little bit of fishing while I was there. However, I did deploy a few times out of there. Okay. So my home, like home and family life, I had to like balance that out cause I was either, I was home or I was gone. I was always doing something with work. So I didn't get a whole lot of fishing out there, but, um, I spent four years out there and then in 2009, I'm sorry, in 2010, I received orders back to mine at North Dakota. I couldn't. I couldn't. I was so excited to come back to North Dakota. You have no idea. I wanted to get back into fishing and do all that. I, I, I was so excited. So I got back up here, came in full swing of things, and then, yeah, and then here I am, still fishing and doing my thing up here. So <laughs> that's a true outdoorsman right there. Because I don't know if everyone would be too excited to go to North Dakota unless you like to fish <laughs> right. <or> hunt, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny because a lot of the younger troops, you know, they say, "Man, why are you so happy up here? Everybody hates my, my not North Dakota." Like. Dude, it is the best place on earth. I I'm gonna retire here. I don't want to leave here. This place is it's amazing. I go an hour in any direction I want to go to. And I can go fish, so it's awesome. Isn't that crazy? So it's kind of like the walleye kind of put your roots down there. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Yeah, I'm like, man, I'm like, I based a whole decision on living in an area based on the fishing. I mean, <laughs> that seems kind of crazy, but I'm like. Well, okay, yeah, that's uh, that sounds about right. Well, <laughs> you gotta do more of what you love to do, man. That's the the key to happiness. Absolutely. So, you know, before you, here's a question. So, obviously, growing up in um, Las Vegas, 
you hadn't probably dabbled too much with ice fishing. No, not at all. So um. I, I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> curious how, I mean, okay. Cause I just had another guest on the podcast that's going to be coming out. And when we were talking, I was like, it's really hard to describe a passion for ice fishing to someone who doesn't do it because it's got, it's got some negative stereotypes with it. Like everyone thinks you just go out and sit in a shack and, you know, drink a bunch of beer and you don't move around <laughs> or do anything like that. But it's like a whole new, like it's still fishing, but it's like a whole new way of fishing, like a whole separate category or hobby that takes a whole new uh, set of equipment, you know, and I'm always excited because, you know, obviously I can fish all year round for the most part. Obviously you can too, but winter for me is like, it's like a Super Bowl. It's like you're waiting for that first ice. You're waiting oh, for this yeah. time of year to oh, get yeah. your to get out there. And it's like it's something that you cannot describe to anybody else unless you have that ice fishing bug. And I'm curious to hear about your first time and how you got into it. You know, um, I, I was always curious about ice fishing because um, growing up, you know, me and my dad, we, a lot of people spent their morning watching, you know, like Saturday morning cartoons and stuff like that, which I did. But on Sundays, that's when all the fishing shows came on. Oh yeah, you, get, so, you gotta get your turtles in first, man. Yeah, you gotta get your Ninja Turtles in, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> and so on Sunday, me and my dad spent spent our time watching TV shows about Midwest fishing. I mean, it was always like they're ice fishing, they're doing. I was like, man, that's that's crazy. Never would have thought I'd be doing that. Like, it's just the craziest thing in the world. Like, huh? Like being in Vegas, we're like, yeah, I don't know, I'm staying away from that. That looks too cold. No, nope, we're not doing that. Right. And so when I got up here. Um, I heard about ice fishing. Um, it was kind of hard for me to get into the community of, of fishing when I first got up here because, again, I was busy with work and everything like that. I didn't really know people. I didn't really know how to reach out. This is all before the internet, before internet and, and, and Facebook and all that stuff like that. So it was really hard to figure out things on your own without some help unless you actually knew knew somebody. Um, so uh, it wasn't actually until oh, shoot around. 2011 is when I went my first time ice fishing. Um, I finally got met up with somebody. Hey, this is ice fishing. So I went up there. I went, 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 went once or twice. I'm like, oh, okay, this is fun. But it's super, again, I didn't have any of the gear. And so it's once you, to get into it, it can be quite expensive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it can be quite expensive. So it wasn't actually for like, I, I, I don't know, the year after that until I really got my own equipment and started going out there. And then as soon as I got my own equipment, it was really it was nonstop. I could not wait for it to freezing. I know I love I love open water fishing. I love you know, it's just the, the weather and enjoying everybody wants to enjoy it and everything like that. But ice fishing to me, like you said, it's like the Super Bowl. Like the when it gets September, I feel that 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 chill. And you know, the first time it gets, you know, forty five degrees, forty degrees, my like, oh, it's coming, guys. I can feel it. You know, it's just uh, it's a hard to describe feeling. I just love ice fishing. It's just something. I look forward to every every year. Oh, so. <laughs> oh yeah, like I said, it's a whole different animal, and we'd probably have a lot nicer boats if we didn't have ice fishing too. We could, <laughs> probably, yeah. We could <laughs> stick a lot more of our money into our boats if we didn't have ice fishing. But we gotta, if you're not sponsored or anything, you gotta give up a little bit. So you know, a lot of that money's got to go into ice fishing. But uh, no, so yeah, that's. Do you do you competitive fish at all? Do you do any tournaments or anything like that in the in the open water and or the hard water seasons? Um, I do occasionally. Um, it's not my mainstay. You know, if somebody asks me, hey, you want to do this first tournament? Yeah, sure. I'll see what I can do. And then I'll do a, maybe like one or two open water tournaments during the year. Um, ice fishing tournaments is, I don't know. It's like, I don't know. I, I've done one before. It's not like the, like my main. I, I don't get too excited about ice fishing tournaments. But right. I'll do one, you know. But uh, I do I do love open water tournaments. I do love that. Uh, just the Like I said, the rush of the 
the shotgun starts, you know, and then like at the end of the day, like, oh, see what everybody's done. It, it's, it's it's an absolute blast. Um, but um, I don't live to do it. I like doing them. But if I didn't do another tournament, I'd be OK, you know, so. Well, yeah, I was just curious because, you know, growing up around, like you said, you were working the tournaments and, and, and uh, you know, doing the weigh-ins and releasing the fish. I didn't know if, like, you know, that was something that sparked, like, you got to go do it. Or maybe you got yeah. an early look at it and you're like, ah, I'll do them, but, you know, it's not for me kind of thing. Yeah, you know, basically what it came down to was, like, seeing, like, the tournament or something like that, just what goes, like – Growing up, a lot of people just see the tournaments. They don't see what actually goes on behind the scenes and stuff like that. Right. Um, so when I actually started doing, like, did my first one or two tournaments, my first, you know, tournament or something, man, there's a lot of money that goes on a lot into this. I mean, a lot, you know, and and it's that's what kind of like, well, I kind of don't have the money to do this, um, but it's uh, either way, I still like to fish. So it's not, it's more or less, it, it gets come down to the money factor really when it comes down to tournament fishing. Even if I did have the money to do it, I still don't think would do it just because it, it, there's a lot of it. Ta- I think it takes away a little bit the fun of fishing a little bit for me. Sure. Just because, you know, if I don't perform as well as I expected to do, there's a, you know, there's a huge letdown at the end. Right. You know, um, so for me, if I just keep fishing for fun, no matter what, even if I have a bad day out there, oh, it's still fun. You know, yeah. if I have a bad day tournament fishing, I'm like, oh, great. Well, there goes all that. This, this, and this. What can I do next time better? This, this, and this. And it's just, I'd rather keep that fun factor in it for me. Yeah. And especially if you don't have the, like the financial backings or the sponsors or anything like that, paying for your, your entry fees, your gas, your boat, all that, you know, that can be really expensive. And it's really expensive. Like even like, even up to recently, I really gotten like, looked into it more there's a lot into it there's what happens if you you, you break your boat you could be out for the rest of the season the, the tournament fees are kind of they're ridiculous even you know uh it's not for a co-angler let's say they take the nwt it's not too bad i think it's like 350 bucks that's just for a co-angler yeah you know and it, and like i think for the pro to go into it's, it's i think it's like 1500 or 2000 dollars, which, which is a lot <laughs> oh yeah it's i think it's 1500 for one tournament entry fee <laughs> yeah i i've said it before on this podcast but I, I did the nwt this year as a co-angler and it was a really eye-opening experience and i recommend it to people who just want to go out there and learn i think it's a great way to learn absolutely um especially if it's your local body of water how to fish it differently and and approach it from a different angle and different ways and techniques and styles to catch fish but um yeah i was just curious to, to to see if you did that or not but you know i think you can agree with this too but there's so many different avenues now that you can do with fishing you know what i mean you've got right right you know you can do it for fun if you like to make videos and post it on youtube uh you know there's there's guys on instagram doing it you're doing a great job with that there's so many different oh, avenues okay. now where it's like you know before, I think in the earlier days, if you weren't a well-known pro or a professional fisherman, no one would probably hear of you um, or or know anything about you. But nowadays, it's just with social media, there's so many different avenues to, you know, to get your name out there. And if you want to inspire to, you know, represent companies or if you like to teach people and, you know, even if you're not looking for any pay, if you just like to tell people how to fish, there's so many different avenues of, of, of how to do that nowadays. Oh, I know. Absolutely. You know, and I, it's funny you say that because it kind of uh, I just had I, I actually have this conversation quite often with people, you know, always asking me, hey, how to get on pro staff or what are you doing? Um, it kind of goes in tying what you're saying. I was like, you know, back back in, you know, before Facebook, before Instagram, before all that social media stuff, it was like you had to be a tournament angler really to get your name out there. Yeah. And you really had to do well to get your name out there. Other than that, nobody know who, who the heck you are. You're just, you know, regular average Joe out there fishing. And, um, 
nowadays, and, and it's funny, people still have that mentality that you have to be a tournament angle to to be a big person. Um, you know, maybe maybe more in the bass circuit. Like, I don't I don't know. Um, just because they they're more you know they're more out there, they're more televised and stuff like that. The bass bass anglers are. Yeah. Um, but I, but I was like, you know, in the walleye circuit. Even in the biggest stages of the tournaments, like even if they win, a lot of people still don't know who that guy is. Oh know? yeah. So so that's where you know the social media aspect is kind of that's where that's where we should step up. The guys that don't want to put their name out there but don't have the means to, to do a tournament, social media is right there for you. And that's what, that kind of approach that I took. You know, um, I was like, well, how do I get my name out here? How do I know? How do I get people to, to follow me? How do I get people to to kind of see what I'm doing, being creative, and how do I be able to share what I'm doing with them? I was like, well. YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook are the perfect platforms, and I'm, and you know, I, I kind of made a small name for myself already without doing a major tournament, you know. So. Right. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, sometimes you see oh, no. a lot of guys giving you, I don't know, writing negative comments, and you can always cipher through those and mm-hmm. and things like that. I get it. I know. I don't know if you get it or not sometimes, but oh yeah, I, I get them. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with wanting to educate folks. And how is this any different from? going to be a professional tournament. You know what I mean? And exactly. I mean, you're dedicating your time. It is a ton of work as you know, right? Oh Make- boy. It, I really, if I could log the hours, I, I tag on social media. I'd be, Oh man. <laughs> and you know how hard it is to get a fish to bite Jeez. when the camera's on. <laughs> so it's like cameras on and fish are gone. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> oh dude, it's tough. We were talking, I was talking about that the other day with somebody. I was like, you think you would think it's easy because you, on the video you're just seeing all the catches and all the fish, but the time right. in between that you're scratching your head and you're cussing and you're just like, holy shit, this is not working, dude. It, it's crazy. It's like yeah, you know, like oh man, but people you know assume oh I'm always catching big fish. No, that is not the case. There's, in fact, right now I am on a perch, like battle right now. I have yet to catch a decent perch this entire winter, and I'm like, my next video is gonna be either. If if I don't go, I have a, I have a small mouth bite. I'm trying to get on right now, but there's a my I went out perch fishing twice so far, absolutely nothing. I mean nothing. I was like, man, what is the deal? I'm like, normally I can find it, but man, I am on a struggle bush right now with perch, man. And if people knew that, they'd be like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, it's not always a hero bite out there. It is, you know. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so what kind of, um, you know, I've never been in, or fished in North Dakota, but it, when I kind of, obviously there's a lot of prairie and open space out there. Are these lakes, I don't see, in, you know, if I'm from the Midwest, so there's always, our lakes are typically surrounded by woods or something like that, but you've got a bunch of like just prairie grass and it's almost just like lakes in the middle of kind of nowhere out there. And basically exactly what that's exactly what that is. You'll have like a big, a lot of the lakes that I fish are surrounded by farmland. Like you go out there and it's, it's all private property, all private farmland, or a lot of it's actually surrounded too by like, you know, like the game and fish, like wetland and protected areas. And boom, here's a lake. You know, they're like our, I think Lake Sakakawea has like the most features for one of our lakes. Is like, you know, cliffs and, you yeah. know, and, and stuff like that. That's probably about as much as, you know, scenery you're going to get for as a lake in North Dakota. Um, unless you go up to the Turtle Mountains area, and there's a Lake Menegoshi, which is known for its huge bluegill up there. That's surrounded by trees and and, 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 and fancy houses up there. That's probably the best scenery that you're going to get. Okay. You know, um, but there are other small lakes that they left alone. Like they left some trees around them because there are houses around them. But for the most part, there's a lot of what we call prairie pothole lakes. Yeah. Really. They're just they're big, big flooded sloughs that are probably no deeper than 15 feet. You know, yeah, so. <laughs> that was going to be my next question. How deep are they, and what what kind of bottom are you looking at out there typically? Um, you know, it depends on like normally you're looking at a muddy bottom. Okay. Um, 
a lot of money bought and a lot of weeds too. Uh, but typically you might in it. Uh, some lakes go, you know, some prairie lakes actually are built on like old, um, old, old, um, what are those rock mines or, uh, yeah. those, yeah, we know stuff like that too. So they can get a little deeper. Um, but for the most part, a lot of these lakes don't go deeper than 20 feet. Um, so, and then these are big bowls. So, it's, you know, it makes fishing a little bit more challenging because there's no structure for the fish to relate to. Right. So it's a lot of, a lot of roaming fish, a lot of, okay, this is fish right on this little break line of, of depth change or stuff like that too. So yeah, a lot of lakes out here are just pretty much big potholes. <laughs> okay. And so let's, let's talk about how to fish those kind of lakes just for a moment here, because I want to, yep. I, I think, you know, you're out in that area. It's great to have you on this podcast to talk about these kind of lakes to fish. Let's talk about open water fishing, those kind of, those kind of bodies of water. Okay. And, and, let, yeah, and, um, and let's just, well, I guess we can stick to walleye if you want to. And if you want to say like smallmouth bass too, if you want to get into a technique for that as well, that would be cool as well. Yeah. Yeah. And also a lot of these, um, these little prairie lakes are, they really, um, you really have to fish, concentrate more on your depth, really. Okay. Um, a lot of these fish, um, in the potholes relate to, to the depth because there really isn't, like I said, there's no structure. Um, so if you do find some kind of structure, concentrate on that area, like even like a slightest, like bend in like the, like a, like a underwater or like Island or something like that. You just concentrate on that area too. Um, but again, like you really want to focus on certain depths when you're going, you know, these pothole lakes. Cause sometimes like I said, some fish like to hang out a little shallower. Um, if you see weeds, weeds to the weed edge line, edge lines are very good, uh, that I've noticed. Um, and of course, when you get to your bigger lakes, stuff like that, you can relate to structure and stuff like that too. Okay. Um, and that's mainly for walleye, really. Um, yeah, it's kind of hard because like a lot of lakes I fish, there's really nothing but mud on them right. at the bottom of them. Sometimes there might be a little bit of a gravel pit, you know, not gravel pit, gravel to mud. And so that's where you kind of want to concentrate right up in there. It, it, there's a little bit of rock, um, you know, concentrate there too. And then also, I should mention this too, a lot of these lakes, if you check on like old like contour maps and stuff like that too, there's a lot of sunken roads. Um, you'll you'll hear that over and over again uh, across lakes in North Dakota, sunken roads and, yeah. and stuff like that because a, a lot of these lakes are flooded like or, or, or flood lakes. And so there are old, you know, like this one, like there's a sunken road that goes directly across the lake, middle of the lake. Um, and basically you'll see it cause everybody sets up on there, but you fish, if you fish that, that road bed nine times out of 10, you're going to catch a fish almost every time because that's where that basically the only structure in that lake, those fish can relate to. So. Does it have like a road and there's like a ditch on either side too? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a lot of teams, like, like on devil's lake, there's a lot of, what happens is like a lot, there's a lot of roads. What happens with the, you know, when you're building these dirt roads, a lot of people like they build ditches. Right. So just imagine yourself driving down a road and there's a ditch on either, th- either side, but put water over that. This is exactly what a lot of these um, lakes have. It's just that. And if you concentrate in your area in there, concentrate your fishing around that area, there's fish are going to hold in there. But beware of snags because there's a lot of big boulders in there because okay. the farmers like to build up, you know, a lot of the like uh, old boulders will push them off to the side of the road and stuff like that too. Gotcha. Yeah, dude, the infamous devil's lake. I want to get out there and fish that <laughs> so bad. There's like sunken tracker, tractors and like stuff like that underneath there, isn't there? Like, there's oh. tractors, boats. <laughs> that place is structure heaven. It is crazy out there. Oh, yeah. It's like an amusement park underwater. Yeah, we were actually – the water's actually gone down a little bit up there. Uh, I was actually – I know I don't fish tournaments, but the one tournament I was fishing this this uh, summer, um, there's a road that it exposed itself, but the best fishing was on the other side of that road. So what we had to do was gain a little bit of speed, uh-huh. let the water take like the the wake that we just created take us photos us over that road because if not we're gonna get hung up. Oh, so we, <laughs> yeah, because there's only I mean we had to literally probably drive about like, take our boat 
I don't know, probably about a quarter mile down this road to find an actually decent point to get over. Because there was a bunch of rocks, like I said, on these on these roads where the farmers at one point put all these boulders up just to make a boundary line. And they had to find the best way to cross this road, cross this road over the water. And like literally, we had our boat going over probably like a foot of water, if that. So, man, it's like a whole new world out there. I'm ex- I want to get out there and fish that so bad. I want to do that. I want to like fish the Columbian River, and you know what I mean. Like I kind of want to just do like a oh, Western trip yeah. and just. Spend yeah, some me time too. Out I, there. I think it'd be a blast, right? <laughs> um, that's cool. So, okay. So let's get into uh, a little bit of techniques for ice fishing and kind of like what you're doing right now. I noticed that you put up uh, a new video on your YouTube page uh, of your latest adventure on, how do you say that name again of that lake? Lake, uh, lake Sakakawea. Sakakawea, yeah. Sakakawea. Yeah. There and, you go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys did really good that day. And I want to go over... A couple of things. One, I want to know how well those new Lindy glow spoons are working. Uh, those little Lindy glow spoons are working really well. Um, it's funny, funny story about that. It was like when we're out there using them, my buddy only caught, well, he only bought two of them. He, he bought an orange one. I'm like, okay, orange tiger. And I bought all the colors except for that one. And that color happened to be working. Like <laughs> it didn't, like I know people say that color doesn't matter. I'm a firm believer that during ice fishing, color does matter. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and he was just hammering. He was just hammering them out. But they, they were actually really good. You know, they, they're kind of deceiving about how they float down in the water a little bit. They're, um, they, they're kind of they're thicker, and they're kind of like they, – they take a little bit longer to get down to the bottom, but they still they still flutter pretty well. It's pretty good action. What but, size were you guys using, quarter ounce, eighth ounce, or what? Oh, uh, we're using quarter ounce ones. Quarter ounce ones, yeah. Quarter – yeah, tip with the uh, middle head, or I, I like I like using the whole middle sometimes too, just to change it up. So, yeah. And how do they do? They glow pretty good at night too, with that stick that you put in there or whatever. Yeah, they actually glow pretty good. If you uh, one little trick that I learned that is, just, once you put your your glow stick in there, it gets kind of cold. Just put it in your hand, warm it up, and then warm up the actual glow stick or the actual the glow sticks in the lure itself. If you just warm it up a little bit in your hand, it actually increases the glow just a little bit more. So if you put it down, they actually last pretty long. I mean, they last, I don't know, a couple of weeks in the tackle box. If you crack one up and put it in there and go up a week later, it's still glowing. So Yeah. And then the other thing I noticed is you guys were really, you know, you found, it looks like you found an area. I don't know if it's that road that you guys were talking about or what, but it seems like, uh, and then you you guys really went to town on like the dead stick and the, um, the tip up and just kind of really spread out in all different areas. Were, the, were those more effective yeah. than jigging, or was jigging more effective than those? Oh, no. Um, the dead sticks were definitely more effective. Um, so basically, um, what we were fishing on, Lake Sakakawea, is they have, like, these uh, these cliffs, these, like, underwater cliffs. Basically, they go from anywhere from 19 feet, and it just drops down to, like, 30 feet, like, quickly. I mean, this is a quick drop-off. And if you pay attention on – if you guys – You'll notice that there's sharp drop-offs all over that map. So what we were doing, we were set up kind of like in the middle of one of those drop-offs. And we're, we had tip-ups going shallow, and we had tip-ups and dead sticks going uh, deeper. And we're just trying to figure out where they were at. We kind of figured that there were, most of the fish that we were catching were in about 20 to 23 feet of water. And what we also noticed there, too, was we know that Lake Sakakawa is full of bait fish, full of smelt. And these fish that come out of there, are just, they're just gorging themselves on the smelt. And so what we're doing, we're catching – what we notice is that 20-foot range, that's where a lot of the bait fish were going. Okay. So a lot of times we'll see a bait, fi- bait fish go underneath us and then fish following them. Or if the bait fish hung underneath us, we'll fish below the bait fish and fish down there right there. That's how we get a lot of our fish too. So. Gotcha. Yeah, dude, um, I feel like 
as many times as I've, I've said it on here and, the, and you read articles about it, not everyone puts out uh, dead sticks and it feels like I can't preach that enough. It's like, that's probably my, <laughs> was my most effective way of catching fish. The last two ice fishing seasons. It's like, if I was jigging, which is a good thing too, because if you think about it, you're jigging in the, ch- the shack and if you got your dead sticks just on the outskirts and you're making noises with like, say a, like a rattle spoon or whatever, you're, you know, mm-hmm. banging it off the bottom in your, in your hub or wherever you're at, it's going to get fish's attention, even if you can't see them and it's going to bring them in. And if they bring them in and they get to that dead stick, I feel like for some reason, especially on a finicky bite, if they're not aggressive, they're going to go with the thing that looks more natural swimming in the column than, than your lure or your, your spoon jigging up and down something they've never seen before. Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of the time, like it's, you'll find aggressive fish. And those are the ones that are gonna get your lure. Right. You know? Right. Um, but, but a lot of time when it comes to ice, a lot of fish tend, tend to slow down. Like every fish tends to slow down during ice fishing just a tad bit. And so even like those dead sticks, that's what we're targeting. It's like we'll be, you know, we set up our dead stick. Or like I said, 90 percent of my fish come off dead sticks. Just a plain split shot, sinker, and then a hook right below. And that's where most of my fish come off of. Um, and one thing we know, I like to put out this tip there too that a lot of people seem to think I'm crazy of. Um, so my buddy and I were fishing, and we were, what we like to do is we take our, our Vexlars or, or or Garmin's or whatever out there, and we'll uh, measure our depth, put our dead sticks down. Okay, we want our bait to be right above, you know, just a couple of inches off the bottom. Mm-hmm. And so what we know, started noticing with our minnow was our minnows were actually swimming crazy, going crazy erratic, flying all over the place. And we're like, well, that's not kind, of, that's not good. And we actually, you know, witnessed. Because so, a lot of times you get lucky if you put it, you will sit right on top of the fish. You can see the fish chasing the bait around there. Like, oh, wait. Like, and then the fish just gives up and goes away. Like, what the heck? So, so these bloody times, our minnows are like super minnows, right? We get those one that's, yeah, I'm like, I'm staying alive today and it's yeah. swimming all over the yeah. place. And not going to get me type of thing, you know? So what we, did, what we did was we actually started clipping the tails on the minnows. And so what, what that does is, for one, it keeps them from swimming. Two, uh, we notice that they swim a lot more erratically, and they create that little bit of vibration and movement for them. So like they're they're swimming in place. It's like it's like like picture yourself space, but you can't go anywhere. This is exactly what these minnows are doing when we clip the tails. Really, the and back so tails. So that's actually caught more fish for us than anything like that. The... Yep, this clip. All you got to do is either well, we, we we just get our minnow out, we clip the the tail. We don't not all the way to the back, but just enough to where a little bit of fin showing, and that, that slows down that minnow a, a lot. Wow, I never thought about that. And it, so yeah, we, do you still suspend <laughs> them then too, or do you kind of just like let the weight sit on the bottom and let the minnow kind of swim up and around that way? Are you, are you still suspending them off the bottom? Like, I don't know. Six? Right. Yeah. We're still suspending them off the, gotcha. yeah, we're still spending them off the bottom. It just depends. Um, sometimes we'll, like in North Dakota, we can have four rods, uh, four holes. Oh. So basically we'll, we, uh, you know, we have one jigging. Normally we'll have one jigging hole. He's how, you know, the group of guys that I fish, well, one hole for jigging and the rest of them for dead sticks. Um, and then those dead sticks, we vary our depths, and then we kind of figure out, okay, this thing, remember, okay, where's this one at? Okay, now let's adjust all the other dead sticks to this depth here, and then go from there. Oh, oh dude, I'm going to try that. I'm going to let you know if that works or not. <laughs> I didn't even think about yeah, that. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, yeah. Oh, yeah, and, and then what we were doing out on Sakakawea, um, you didn't really have to clip the clip the tails on these ones because we we're doing what we call them dual minnows. Uh, we put on two minnows on one hook, one Facing the other direction, like they're facing opposite directions. Yeah. And you put them right to the back of the hook, and they can't go anywhere because one's swimming one direction, another guy's swimming the other direction. So it's like, okay, well, you know, so they're just sitting there creating all the vibration and movement. And that really caught us a lot of our fish. Most of the fish that you see on my video with the tip ups are all over caught in that dual minnow setup. And that's just on a treble hook then. So you just put one on one treble on one side and one on the other, or is it a single hook? 
Just a single hook. Just a yep. single hook. Okay. You can do it. You, yeah, you can do it too with a single hook. You can also do it with the trouble hook too. But with a trouble hook, just keep that. Keep those fish on the same hook because if you have them on different hooks, they're, they're gonna like do. A, I don't know. I we found that if you put them on one hook, it's better off that way. Dude, you gotta come up with a name for this technique. Like the like the clipping the back fins or something. What or, was that? I, I, oh, I said you gotta come up with a name for this technique of clipping <laughs> the back tails or something like that. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 pretty effective way. You know, I I didn't come up with that, my buddy did, and, and then he's like, "Oh, let's start doing it." So, but yeah, it's it's definitely a, an effective way of doing it. And like, you'll see our our, our, our lid pails is like, "What's going on here, guys?" I'm like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool, dude. That's a good, that's a good tip, and I I, I think uh, hopefully a lot of people listen to that and give it a shot. Um, and so there's one more thing I want to get into a little bit with you is uh, you're part of the fish addictions team, right? Yes, sir. Tell us a little bit how that happened. Oh, man. Um, so um, I was listening to their podcast one day because I was just um, – it was – I want to say about a year, a year and a half ago because um, I was just kind of really starting to get heavy into the pro staffing thing and I was still – because I'm still learning how the ins and outs of being on uh, – pro, being, what, what it takes to be on a pro staff, how to get on certain pro staff and stuff like that. And they had these, pod, these, these three podcasts that talked specifically about that and they had guys from the industry in and talk about it. Um, and then they kind of, then one episode in particular, they talked about, um, making fishing reports for your area. And I was like, huh, that's a pretty good idea. But I, I hear fishing reports, people write them and not really do videos of them. So, and they were asking, Hey, if you guys have any, you know, um, fishing reports you guys like to do and yeah, submit it to us on video and go from there. I'm like, okay, cool. So I was like, huh, all right. So I did a fishing report for them on video. And then they accepted, like, okay, yeah, cool. And they gave me some tips on how to make it better and how they wanted their formatting and stuff like that, too. That's a whole different discussion of formatting and video and all that stuff like oh, that. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> so I sent it in, and like, I, guess, I guess they really liked it. And then they asked me what they have. They have a, a – it's called a content contributor program. And basically what that is is um, you send them pictures and video reports and stuff like that, too. And then eventually there's a chance you might be able to get on their staff for, you know, fishing to shows and stuff like that, too. So I was doing that for a little while, and then um, this past uh, summer, I actually got the chance to finally meet. Because like, well, right now, right now, a lot of us guys were all know each other by Facebook and social media and stuff like that. Yeah. So I got a chance. Yeah, it, it got a chance to fish with um, Mike Olson last summer on Devil's Lake uh, when he was pre-fishing for uh, uh, the NW2 out there. And so I got to really got to fish with him, got to know him a little better and stuff like that. I mean, I was probably, I was probably one of the most nervous times of my life. Cause I'm like, you know, he's, you know, he's one of the guys I look up to in the fishing industry and stuff like that. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so nervous. I'm like, uh, what am I going to do? I'm like, what if I can't fish right? You know, this stuff, this stuff like that. And he just turned out to be just, just another guy like, you know, that I know him for years. So we had conversations there. And then, um, after NWT was over, he gave me a call and offered me a position on there. So yeah, that's how, that's how it came to be. So damn, dude, good for started you. Started off, you know, at the bottom. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, that's how it is. You know, a lot of you know, I tell a lot of guys, you know, it's like a lot of guys expect to get on stuff like right away, but you have to start at a certain level and then work your way up. And, and that's exactly what I did. You know, I got on their contributor staff. I showed like they really wanted to be on their team, and I it, it's and that's what I did. I made video reports. I put a lot of time into making my videos and making myself better at editing videos and doing certain techniques and making fishing reports. And yeah. And then next thing you know, 
I'm on Fish Addiction TV, which is by far my greatest accomplishment ever. So <laughs> yeah, and they're, they've got a huge reach in the Midwest. It's kind of funny because you know if you think about it, if you come full circle. You said as a kid you were watching the Midwest and what they were doing, and kind of in <laughs> awe of everything. And they're obviously a huge name in the Midwest industry. I mean, for us, for fishing out here and everywhere. Um, so it's kind of cool that uh, you know this guy from Nevada kind of has got his uh, foot in the door in the Midwest area. Yeah, it, you know, I was just talking to my dad about this recently. I was like, man, it's crazy how we used to, you know, watch this stuff on TV, you know, always talk about, man, that'd be nice to catch a walleye, even though we never seen one or caught one before ever. And I'm up here living exactly what we're talking about now. And, and you know, and like growing up, and you know, if you ever like go get your hair cut or something like that, the magazines always have out for you. The first thing I would pick up is always an in fishery magazine or some kind of outdoor magazine talking about fishing. And it's crazy now that looking back at it, it's like, I, I read about this stuff and, and holy crap, I'm like, I'm, I'm living this right now. Like, I don't know what could be any better than this right now. It's, it's, it's completely awesome. So that's awesome, man. Well, good for you. You take your dad out. Yeah. He, uh, when he comes up here, he still lives in Las Vegas. When he comes up here, I we always, all right, let's go grab my buddy in his boat go out to Lake Sakakawea. And he just, he's in awe. He's just like, Oh man, he's just, it doesn't matter what he's catching. You know, we, we got <laughs> yeah. some decent walleye and we got, we, he caught a, actually, act, you know, accidentally caught a, a big freshwater drum and he was like, Oh man, this is great. Me and my buddy like, yeah, <laughs> put it back, please. <laughs> oh man. Remember catch, I, we catch those over here all you the know, time. He's just, he, he, he's, he's, he's like me. It's, <laughs> you know, he just, he has a blast up here fishing and, and yeah, you know, I can't, thank him enough for everything like that. So I, you know, take him fishing all the time up here. So he's, he loves it just, just as much as I do. So, well, cool, man. That's great. Um, well, do you have any more questions for me or is there anything that you want to, you know, share with the young, inspiring angler out there? Uh, not that I know of, you know, if anybody, I mean, I, I, I tell people, I guess my biggest message is, um, anybody out there looking to get into industry or looking to make a name for yourself, just do it. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. Cause I even, I still receive, I'm going to say hate mail, but people still hate on me for stuff that I'm doing, you know, but that just makes me want to do more. So a lot of, you know, I recently, I recently realized that I'm reaching out to a lot of younger kids. Um, so anybody listening to this, all your kids just go out there and do it. If you have an inkling or, you know, or idea to do something, just go out there and do it. Cause you never know what's going to take you. So just go out there and do it guys and, and have fun doing it. Dude. Great words to live by. Awesome, dude. I really appreciate you coming on here to do this. This is uh, this is great. And oh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for having me on. Where, where can people you know follow you at? Um, they can follow me at uh, Theo Toller Fishing on Facebook. You can also follow me on uh, Instagram, uh, Canine Guy eighty two. Um, which my name comes from. I used to be a military working dog handler. That's what I came from. I know nothing to do with fishing, but oh, that's, that's awesome. that. And then um, and on my YouTube channel, Theo Toller Fishing on YouTube. Okay, perfect. And then obviously fish addictions too, right? And also too, fish addictions TV. Um, our first episode airs uh, January sixth on Fox Sports, Wisconsin, and Fox Sports North at ten thirty a.m. on Sundays. Yeah, and I gotta talk to whoever's doing the videos over there because they've really upped their game. Is that Aaron? Do Aaron Icorse and Sam Moore, bro. They they kill it. I, there's nobody. I, there's I don't know who's going to touch them. There's nobody can touch them when it comes to entity, man. They do some great work, man. They upped it this year, big time. A little bit different flavor. Big time. A little bit different flavor in there. I got to talk to those guys and get them on here. Yeah. Yeah. You'll, you'll, yeah. If you ever do the good guys, you know, and like I said, fish sticks, and that's what we want to do. We want to be different from everybody else. And I think that's what we're doing. And we're, 
we're we're good at it. So well, awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, Theo, you keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate your time. Uh, I'll link everybody in the show notes where you can follow um, Theo at and some of his websites and fix or fish addictions and all that good stuff. So, Hey, if I, uh, you know, Merry Christmas and, uh, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks. Merry Christmas to you. Have a happy new year. And again, thanks for having me on. All right, buddy. See ya. See ya. There you have it. Ladies and gentlemen, Theo Tolliver on the fish addictions crew. He's got his own YouTube channel out there, educating all of us and, uh, just putting out some great content. want to thank Theo again for coming on the podcast today. Uh, be sure to check out the show notes um, where you can follow Theo and uh, to be sure to go check out some of his content on YouTube and also the season of Fish Addictions. I want to remind you guys too to remember to subscribe to the podcast and give it a five star if you like what you're hearing and leave a review. And I hope that you guys are, again, like I said earlier, enjoying your holidays. Look forward to 2019 with you all. And I've got some great guests coming up in 2019. So be safe out there, everybody. And we'll see you right back here on the Freshwater Bite Podcast. Thanks for listening.